0: If you didn't realize it, this is a totally free podcast. How does Carla do it? Well, she loves to read the classics, but we all could use a little help now and then. So if you'd like to show your appreciation, any small donation would be appreciated. Visit anchor.fm slash Carla 3507 or cash app dollar sign Jess TSM. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Anchor users, feel free to leave a voice message if you'd like to say hello, or if you have a question, comment, suggestion, feel free to leave a voice message. If you're listening on another platform, please feel free to write me at Classics at gmail.com. Note that Carla is spelled with a K. And now, without further ado, let's jump right back into Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. Chapter 3. Catching Walter Cunningham in the schoolyard gave me some pleasure, but when I was rubbing his nose in the dirt, Jem came by and told me to stop. "'You're bigger than he is,' he said. "'He's as old as you nearly,' I said. "'He made me start off on the wrong foot.' "'Let him go, Scout.' "'Why?' "'He didn't have any lunch,' I said, and explained my involvement in Walter's dietary affairs.' Walter had picked himself up and was standing quietly listening to Jem and me. His fists were half cocked, as if expecting an onslaught from both of us. I stomped at him to chase him away, but Jem put out his hand and stopped me. He examined Walter with an air of speculation. Your daddy Walter Cunningham from Old Sarum? he asked, and Walter nodded. Walter looked as if he had been raised on fish food. His eyes, as blue as dill Harris's, were red-rimmed and watery. There was no color in his face except at the tip of his nose, which was moistly pink. He fingered the straps of his overalls, nervously picking at the metal hooks. Jim suddenly grinned at him. Come on home to dinner with us, Walter, he said. We'd be glad to have you. Walter's face brightened, then darkened. Jem said, our daddy's a friend of your daddy's. Scout here, she's crazy. She won't fight you anymore. I wouldn't be too certain of that, I said. Jem's free disposition of my pledge irked me, but precious noontime minutes were taken away. Yeah, Walter, I won't jump on you again. Don't you like butter beans? Our cow's a real good cook. Walter stood where he was, biting his lip. "'Jim and I gave up, and we were nearly to the Radley place "'when Walter called, "'Hey, I'm coming!' "'When Walter caught up with us, Jim made pleasant conversation with him. "'A haint lives there,' he said cordially, pointing to the Radley house. "'Ever hear about him, Walter?' "'Reckon I have,' said Walter. "'Almost died first year I come to school and at them pecans. "'Folks say he poisoned em and put em over on the school side of the fence.' Jim seemed to have little fear of Boo Radley now that Walter and I walked beside him. Indeed, Jim grew boastful. "I went all the way up to the house once," he said to Walter. "Anybody who went up to the house once oughta not be still running every time he passes it," I said to the clouds above. "And who's running, Miss Priss? You are, when ain't nobody with you?" "'By the time we reached our front steps, Walter had forgotten that he was a Cunningham. Jem ran to the kitchen and asked Calpurnia to set an extra plate. "'We had company. "'Atticus greeted Walter and began a discussion about crops neither Jim nor I could follow. "'Reason I can't pass first grade, Mr. Finch, is I've had to stay out every spring and help Papa with the chopping. "'But there's another at the house now that's field-size.' "'Did you pay a bushel of potatoes for him?' I asked, but Atticus shook his head at me. While Walter piled food on his plate, he and Atticus talked together like two men to the wonderment of Jim and me. Atticus was expounding upon farm problems when Walter interrupted to ask if there was any molasses in the house. Atticus summoned Calpurnia, who returned bearing the syrup picture. She stood waiting for Walter to help himself. Walter poured syrup on his vegetables and meat with a generous hand. He was—he would probably have poured it into his milk glass had I not asked him what the Sam Hill he was doing. The silver saucer clattered when he replaced the pitcher, and he quickly put his hands in his lap. Then he ducked his head. Atticus shook his head at me again. But he's gone and drowned his dinner in syrup, I protested. "'He's poured it all over!' "'It was then that Calpurnia requested my presence in the kitchen. "'She was furious, and when she was furious, "'Calpurnia's grammar became erratic, "'when in tranquility her grammar was as good as anybody's in Macon. "'Attica said Calpurnia had more education than most colored folks. "'When she squinted down at me, the tiny lines around her eyes deepened. "'There's some folks who don't eat like us.' She whispered fiercely. But you ain't called on to contradict them at the table when they don't. That boy's your company, and if he wants to eat up the tablecloth, you let him, you hear? He ain't company, cow. He's just a Cunningham. Hush your mouth. Don't matter who they are. Anybody sets foot in this house is your company, and you don't let me catch you remarking on their ways like you was so high and mighty. Your folks might be better than the Cunninghams, but it don't count for nothing the way you're disgracing them. "'and if you can't act fit to eat at the table, "'you can just sit here and eat in the kitchen.' "'Calpurnia sent me through the swinging door "'to the dining room with a stinging smack. "'I retrieved my plate and finished dinner in the kitchen, "'thankful, though, that I was spared the humiliation "'of having to face them again. "'I told Calpurnia to just wait. "'I'd fix her. "'One of these days when she wasn't looking, "'I'd go off and drown myself in Barker's Eddy, "'and then she'd be sorry.' Besides, I added, she'd already gotten me in trouble once today. She had taught me to write, and it was all her fault. Hush your fussing, she said. Jim and Walter returned to the school ahead of me, staying behind as I stayed behind to advise Atticus of Calpurnia's inequities was worth was worth a solitary sprint past the Radley place. She likes Jim better. She likes me anyway. I concluded and suggested that Atticus lose no time in packing her off. Have you ever considered that Jim doesn't worry her half as much? Atticus's voice was flinty. I've no intention of getting rid of her now or ever. We couldn't operate a single day without Cal. Have you ever thought of that? You think about how much Cal does for you, and you mind her, you hear? I returned to school and hated Calpurnia steadily until a sudden shriek shattered my resentments. I looked up to see Miss Caroline standing in the middle of the room, sheer horror flooding her face. Apparently she had revived enough to persevere in her profession. "'It's alive!' she screamed. The male population of the class rushed as one to her assistance. "'Lord, I thought she's scared of a mouse!' "'Little Chuck Little, whose patience with all living things was phenomenal, said, "'Which way did he go, Miss Caroline? Tell us where he went. Quick! D.C.' "'He turned to a boy behind him. D.C. D.C. shut the door and we'll catch him. Quick, ma'am, where'd he go?' Miss Caroline pointed a shaking finger not at the door nor at a desk, but to a hulking individual unknown to me. Little Chuck's face contracted and he said gently, you mean him, ma'am? Yes, Yes'm. Um, he's alive. Did he scare you some way? Miss Caroline said desperately. I was just walking by when it crawled out of his hair. Just crawled out of his hair. Little Chuck grinned broadly. There ain't no need to fear a cootie, ma'am. Ain't you ever seen one? Now don't you be afraid. You just go back to your desk and teach us some more. "'Little Chuck Little was another member of the population who didn't know where his next meal was coming from, but he was a born gentleman. "'He put his hand under her elbow and led Miss Caroline to the front of the room. "'Now don't you fret, ma'am,' he said. "'There ain't no need to fear a cootie. "'I'll just fetch you some cool water.' "'The cootie's host showed not the faintest interest in the furor he had wrought.' He searched the scalp above his forehead, located his guest, and pinched it between his thumb and forefinger. Miss Caroline watched the process in horrid fascination. Little Chuck brought water over in a paper cup, and she drank it gratefully. Finally, she found her voice. "'What's your name, son?' she asked softly. The boy blinked. "'Who, me?' Miss Caroline nodded. "'Burris Ewell?' Miss Caroline inspected her roll-book. I have a yule here, but I don't see a first name. Would you spell your first name for me? Don't know how. They call me Burst at home. Well, Burris said Miss Caroline, I think we'd better excuse you for the rest of the afternoon. I want you to go home and wash your hair. From her desk she produced a thick volume, leafed through its pages, and read for a moment. A good home remedy for... Burris, I want you to go home and wash your hair with lye soap. "'When you've done that, treat your scalp with kerosene. "'What fur, missus? "'To get rid of the, er, uh, cooties. "'You see, Burris, the other children might catch them, "'and you wouldn't want that, would you?' "'The boy stood up. "'He was the filthiest human I had ever seen. "'His neck was dark gray, the backs of his hands were rusty, "'and his fingernails were black deep into the quick.' He peered at Miss Caroline from a fist-sized clean space on his face. No one had noticed him, probably because Miss Caroline and I had entertained the class most of the morning. And Burris, said Miss Caroline, please bathe yourself before you come back tomorrow. The boy laughed rudely. You ain't sending me home, missus. I was on the verge of leaving. I done done my time for this year. Miss Caroline looked puzzled. What do you mean by that? The boy did not answer. He gave a short, contemptuous snort. One of the elderly members of the class answered her. He's one of the Ewell's, ma'am, and I wondered if this explanation would be as unsuccessful as my attempt. But Miss Caroline seemed willing to listen. Whole school's full of them. They come first day every year and then leave. The truant lady gets em here because she threatens em with the sheriff, but she's given up trying to hold them. "'She reckons she's carried out the law just getting their names on the roll "'and running em here the first day. "'You're supposed to mark em absent the rest of the year.' "'But what about their parents?' asked Miss Caroline in genuine concern. "'Ain't got no mother,' was the answer, "'and their pa's right contentious.' "'Burris Ewell was flattered by the recital. "'Been coming to the first day of the first grade for three years now.' he said expansively. Reckon if I'm smart this year, they'll promote me to the second. Miss Caroline said, Sit back down, please, Burris. And the moment she said it, I knew she had made a serious mistake. The boy's condescension flashed to anger. You try and make me, Mrs. Little Chuck Little got to his feet. Let him go, ma'am, he said. "'He's a mean one, a hard-down mean one. "'He's liable to start something. "'And there are some little folks in here.' "'He was among the most diminutive of men. "'But when Burris Ewell turned toward him, "'Little Chuck's right hand went to his pocket. "'Watch your step, Burris,' he said. "'I'd soon kill you as look at you. "'Now go home!' "'Burris seemed to be afraid of a child half his height, "'and Miss Caroline took advantage of his indecision. "'Burris... Go home. If you don't, I'll call the principal, she said. I'll have to report this anyway. The boy snorted and slouched leisurely to the door. Safely out of range, he turned and shouted, Report me and be damned to you. Ain't no snot-nosed slut of a schoolteacher ever born can make me do nothing. You ain't making me go nowhere, missus. You just remember that. You ain't making me go nowhere. He waited until he was sure she was crying. Then he shuffled out of the building. "'Soon we were clustered around her desk, trying in our various ways to comfort her. "'He was a real mean one, below the belt. "'You ain't called on to teach folks like that. "'Them ain't make ways, Miss Caroline. "'Not really. "'Now don't you fret, ma'am. "'Miss Caroline, why don't you read us a story? "'That cat thing was real fine this morning.' "'Miss Caroline smiled, blew her nose, said, "'Thank you, darlings.' dispersed us opened a book and mystified the first grade with a long narrative about a toad-frog that lived in a hall when i passed the radley place for the fourth time that day twice at full gallop my gloom had deepened to match that house If the remainder of the school year were as fraught with drama as the first day, perhaps it would be mildly entertaining, but the prospect of spending nine months refraining from reading and writing made me think of running away. By late afternoon, most of my traveling plans were complete. When Jim and I raced each other up the sidewalk to meet Atticus coming home from work— I didn't give him much of a race. It was our habit to run meet Atticus at the moment we saw him round the post-office corner in the distance. Atticus seemed to have forgotten my noontime fall from grace. He was full of questions about school. My replies were monosyllabic, and he did not press me. Perhaps Calpurnia sensed that my day had been a grim one. She led me. She let me watch her fix supper. Shut your eyes and open your mouth, and I'll give you a surprise. She said. "'It was not often that she made cracklin' bread. "'She said she never had time. "'But with both of us at school today... "'But with both of us at school today had been an easy one for her. "'She knew how I loved cracklin' bread. "'I missed you today,' she said. "'The house got so lonesome long about two o'clock "'I had to turn on the radio.' "'Why? Jim and me ain't never in the house unless it's raining.' "'I know,' she said. "'But one of you's always in callin' distance.' I wonder how much of the day I spend just calling after you. Well, she said, getting up from the kitchen chair, it's enough time to make a pan of crackling bread, I reckon. You run along now and let me get supper on the table. Calpurnia bent down and kissed me. I ran along, wondering what had come over her. She had wanted to make up with me. That's what it was. She had always been too hard on me. She had... She had at last seen the error of her fractious ways. She was sorry and too stubborn to say so. I was weary from the day's crimes. After supper, Atticus sat down with the paper and called, "'Scout, ready to read?' The Lord sent me more than I could bear, and I went to the front porch. Atticus followed me. "'Something wrong, Scout?' I told Atticus I didn't feel very well, and I didn't think I'd go to school any more if it was all right with him." Atticus sat down in the swing and crossed his legs. His fingers wandered to his pocket. He said that was the only way he could think. He waited in amiable silence, and I sought to reinforce my position. You never went to school, and you do all right, so I'll just stay home, too. You can teach me like Granddaddy taught you and Uncle Jack. No, I can't, said Atticus. I have to make a living. Besides, they'd put me in jail if I kept you at home. Dose of Magnesia for you tonight and school tomorrow. I'm feeling all right, really. Thought so. Now what's the matter? Bit by bit, I told him the day's misfortune. And she said you taught me all wrong, so we can't ever read any more ever. Please don't send me back. Please, sir. Atticus stood up and walked to the end of the porch. When he completed his examination of the wisteria vine, he strolled back to me. First of all, he said, "'If you can learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. "'You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view.' "'Sir?' "'Until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. "'Attica said I had learned many things to-day, and Miss Caroline had learned several things herself.' She had learned not to hand something to a Cunningham for one thing, but if Walter and I had put ourselves in her shoes, we'd have seen it was an honest mistake on her part. We could not expect her to to learn all Macom's ways in one day, and we could not hold her responsible when she knew no better. I'll be dogged, I said. I didn't know no better than to not read to her, and she held me responsible. Listen, Atticus, I don't have to go to school. I was bursting with a sudden thought. Burris Ewell, remember? He just goes to school on the first day. The truant lady reckons she's carried out the law when she gets his name on the roll. You can't do that, scout, Attica said. Sometimes it's better to bend the law, to bend the law a little in special cases. In your case, the law remains rigid. So to school you must go. I don't see why I have to and he doesn't. Then listen. Atticus said the Yules had been the disgrace of Maycomb for three generations. None of them had done an honest day's work in his recollection. He said that some Christmas when he was getting rid of the tree, he would take me with him and show me where and how they lived. They were people, but they lived like animals. They can go to school any time they want to when they show the faintest symptom of wanting an education, said Atticus. There are ways of keeping them in school by force, but it's silly to force people like the Yules into a new environment. If I didn't go to school tomorrow, you'd force me to. Let us leave it at this, said Atticus dryly. You, Miss Scout Finch, are the common folk. You must obey the law. "'He said that the Yules were members of an exclusive society made up of Ewells. "'In certain circumstances, the common folk judiciously allowed them certain privileges "'by the simple method of becoming blind to some of the Ewells' activities. "'They didn't have to go to school, for one thing. "'Another thing, Mr. Bob Ewell, Burris's father, was permitted to hunt and trap out of season. "'Atticus, that's bad!' I said. In Macon County, hunting out of season was a misdemeanor at law, a capital felony in the eyes of the populace. It's against the law, all right, said my father, and is certainly bad. But when a man spends his relief checks on green whiskey, his children have a way of crying from hunger pains. I don't know of any landowner around here who begrudges those children any game their father can hit. Mr. Yule shouldn't do that. "'Of course he shouldn't, but he'll never change his ways. "'Are you going to take out your disapproval on his children?' "'No, sir,' I murmured, and made a final stand. "'But if I keep on going to school, we can't ever read any more.' "'That's really bothering you, isn't it?' "'Yes, sir.' "'When Atticus looked down at me, I saw the expression on his face "'that always made me expect something. "'Do you know what a compromise is?' he asked. "'Bending the law?' No, an agreement reached by mutual concessions. It works this way, he said. If you concede the necessity of going to school, we'll go on reading every night just as we always have. Is that a bargain? Yes, sir. We'll consider it sealed without the usual formality, Atticus said, when he saw me preparing to spit. As I opened the front screen door, Atticus said, By the way, Scout, you'd better not say anything at school about our agreement. Why not? I'm afraid our activities would be received with considerable disapprobation by the more learned authorities. Jem and I were accustomed to our father's last will and testament diction, and we were at all times free to interrupt Atticus for a translation when it was beyond our understanding. "'Huh, sir?' I never went to school, he said, but I have a feeling that if you tell Miss Caroline we read every night, she'll get after me, and I wouldn't want her to come after me. Atticus kept us in fits that evening, gravely reading columns of print about a man who sat on a flagpole for no discernible reason, which was enough reason for Jim to spend the following Saturday aloft in the treehouse. Jim sat from after breakfast until sunset, and would would have remained overnight had not Atticus severed his supply lines. I had spent most of the day climbing up and down, running errands for him, providing him with literature, nourishment, and water and was carrying him blankets for the night when Atticus said, if I paid no attention to Jim, Jim would come down. Atticus was right. That brings us to the end of Chapter 3 of Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. I hope you enjoyed the reading. Thanks so much for joining me. Until next time.